This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Galaxies we hear, so down I can see so All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Tell Me This. I'm Brianne Roos here with Carrie Borkowski. For our new listeners, this is a podcast about all things belonging, community, connections, collaboration, and holding space for what is possible. Over the life of this pod, we've explored research and scholarship on or related to belonging. We've shared stories, listened, and engaged with diverse individuals about belonging during the pandemic as parents, as leaders, as human beings who show up for all the things. This season, we're journeying into belonging in our relationships, friends, spouses, coworkers, neighbors, all levels. And today we are so excited to welcome back one of my dearest people on this whole entire planet, Kate McMahon. We're so excited. Her full bio is in a prior episode. So if you want to learn more, you can refer back. Uh, But today we've been thinking about and planning this first of two episode, um, I guess, mini series on the book Bittersweet by Susan Cain. So not really like a technical book review, more of just a discussion about our reactions to the book. And this evolved totally organically from our conversation with Kate the last time, which is kind of cool. So totally iterative and wasn't planned. And we're coming here today with some themes and some ideas and also some surprises because we haven't really connected too much. Everybody's done a little bit of individual prep and we're, we're coming on live. So here we go. I'm so excited. Like I, I, I nice want to you guys. It's yeah. So th- thank you for coming back, Kate. It's so good to see you. And I want to ask you because we're trying out the new intro. What do you think of the new intro? I like the new intro. Okay. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah it's really yeah. nice. And I think it likes, you know, is a nice summary of what you're, what you're doing and cool. And yeah. And like- yeah. We're trying to you know, we're always trying to try new things and experiment. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited. I was trying to remember the specific conversation we were having that brought us to bittersweet, um, to no surprise. I don't remember. Um, but I just feel like we were exploring the depths of paradox and hard things and discomfort and, I think I was, um, had just finished or we had just gotten it. And I, and she had been on a podcast with, um, Brene Brown. And I think what we were sharing was resonant. Um, and I was like, Ooh, let's. And of course, when we have amazing guests like Kate on Brienne, I feel like I'm always trying to find reasons to bring people back. And so I was like, let's do a book club. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of it was, Yeah. In that conversation with Kate, she was sharing some like really hard things that had happened in her life. And so it kind of brought us to this place of, it did of paradox of bitter and sweet. And then it just evolved from there. Yeah. So, so I want to hear 
it's not a book review, but like reactions to our book. What did you guys, what did you ladies think? Well, I'm curious about Brienne. What did you think of it? Oh God, look at her tossing that over right away. <laughs> I mean, I want to know what you think. I'll, I'm happy to dive in if you want me to go first. Oh no, it's fine. I, can go first. Okay. I yeah. thought the book was really hard, not hard to read in terms of like, you know, hard to understand, but hard for me to like come to terms with, because I agreed with everything that she said. I also don't like it. And I think that both of those things can be true. <laughs> well, there it is. It's like the nuance that that is your, it's a perfect uh, uh, entry point here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just found I'm listening to the book. I'm like, yes, you are so right. And this is making me sad just thinking about it. So I, <laughs> I think I'm at a place where I'm not loving the sad. And I think, I, I don't know if that's because there's a lot of the bitter all around with the pandemic and I don't know, just like families getting older and relationships changing and um, things just feel more real as we get older, you know, and kids growing older, I'm like so acutely aware of the passing of time. And so there's a lot of bittersweetness with that. Um, people getting sick. Like as I was reading this book, there was like this flood of people who were like really sick and that's really hard. So I kind of was like, Ooh, if I'm going to read a book, I'd rather read a book that makes me feel a little bit better, but um, that doesn't mean that I didn't totally appreciate what she was saying because I do. And I think she's, she's right on. I just didn't, I just didn't like hearing about it because <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard for me to think about. So yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. I, I loved it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I, I I said just before we started, I felt so seen in this book. I felt like, I don't know. I feel like I, um, I don't know. I think I, I come at things uh, seeing both sides of the coin <laughs> a lot of the time. There was a, a, a part in here where she was at um, a, a group meeting about death and dying. And the person asked, you know, what, what's your sign? What, you know, and she said, I'm a Pisces. And of course I am as well. And in, in it, it said, you know, you're permeable, you take everything on. And sometimes it's hard to discern what's yours and what's not in terms of other people's emotions and totally true. Um, and I do find that I often, when I see people or reconnect with old friends, you know, a lot of times I, I, I want to get right to like, what's real, like, like mm -hmm. staying up here. I, and I, I'm finding that the older I get, like staying here and just like, we're good. No, yeah, kids are good. Yeah, good. Like, it's like that. I'm like, what is wonderful for you right now? What is the hardest thing you're dealing with? What is real? What is true? What is clunky? What are you working through? Like what? And so it's funny, like at parties, people will be like, every time I see you, I'm crying. Like people like <laughs> cab drivers open up to me about like, you know, their child with drug, you know, and I'm like, tell me more. I'm like, just, mm -hmm. I, I love knowing and like engaging with the hard and the beautiful. And I think, yeah. um, you know, the, uh, Kabbalah, Kabbalah, uh, the story about, you know, the, how the world was this, you know, giant, you know, uh, burning ember of light. And then mm -hmm. it kind of like went and fell and exploded. And is now these shards of light are tucked in all of life's stickiest, ickiest bits. And it's like our job to kind of go and find those. I was like, yes, that is literally exactly what I am seeking to do in my life's work and my writing in my connection with human beings. I was like, 
Yes, yes, yes. I'm nostalgic. I'm always looking back. I feel like I'm like my daughter's riding to her bike to the pool for the first time. And I'm like feeling very like emotional about it. And people are like, oh my God, like what is with you? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what my deal is. I'm not saying it's right, but I feel like so much of this nuance and this dance, I'm like super here for. So yeah. I love it. Yeah. How about you, yeah. I agree. Um, I loved it. I love her. I loved what she had to say when I listened to her on the podcast. I was running and I was like, yes, yes, yeah. I, I got it. Yes. You know, um, and I had said to Brianne the other day when we, we did a tiny bit of prep just to give structure, not really sharing, but I said to her, um, I feel like I have a bit of that in me. Like I like the sad songs. I like what sad songs and that melancholy, um, does I I'm able to sort of um, when I'm in, you know, healthy places, I'm able to sit in, in that music and cry and be happy. And so I, I like that. Um, so yeah, I just really, I love the book. I mean, anyone, and we're, we're going to dig into the the book, you know, more, but anyone who sort of ends the book talking about how important it is to think about, um, you know, what does life mean? Right. Asking those big questions, because I feel like unfortunately so often, we're focused on, well, what job are you going to get? You know, what's your plan that way, but not like what's the meaning of life? Right. Like the real, it feels very um, existential, but actually that's at the core of everything is what's the meaning of life. And I also, she's told that story about the light on the podcast. And I have to say, um, and I'm not saying like I was some really smart little kid, but I remember being in church as a, in a very conservative, um, upper middle-class church. And I had so many questions and I frustrated so many people. And I remember saying to somebody, I just feel like we all have a little piece of this truth. And like, we need to figure out how to like, talk to each other. Like I had Jewish friends, Catholic friends, you know, people who weren't. And I'm like, we all have a little bit of this. Why are we like fighting over who has the truth? Right. Yes. And so when she said that, I was like, Oh, Yes, that's the thing. So, um, so all of that's to say, I just, I love this book. Um, I have dog-eared the hell out of it, like trying to remember different spots of it. Um, so yeah, I'm, yep, exactly. So, um, so I think we want to sort of just for folks who haven't read it yet, um, maybe just, you know, I think Brianne and our sort of style of podcasting, we always love to sort of set the stage with language, right. And make sure when people hear us say things like paradox and compassion and melancholy and bittersweet, um, you know, what, what that means to us and maybe, um, from the perspective of the author. Um, so, so just a little vocab, I guess, is where we're <laughs> starting. Um, and we've talked a lot about paradox, so I don't know that we need to, to say both of you sort of talked talked about it in your in your reaction which is just being able to hold two things that seem to not be able to hold right like um so i think that's what we're talking about when we say this idea of paradox um bram what what's your sense of um the notion of bittersweet i'm wondering what you sort of took from the book like if we were going to give the audience just like a a snippet of it yeah i mean i think at its extremes, it's like the poles. It's like the things that are really hard and really hurt your heart um, with the things that bring your heart all that joy and like flood you with the feelings of like really true goodness. And when I think about it, I think of 
um, like Ignatian Jesuit language of consolation and desolation. So mm. not like, oh, I'm happy today or I'm sad today, but like the real things that bring you like joy in your bones and sadness in your heart, like that kind of yeah. those poles is kind of where I come from with this. Yeah. Kate, anything to add to that notion? Yeah. Um, no, I think that that was beautifully said. I think that it is true. I think it is, it's deeper than emotion. It's more of like a state of being resultant from events that happen in our lives mm. um, that are, you know, loss, uh, you know, you lose a job, a, a spouse, a parent, a, a friend, a whatever, um, hard, heavy illness, hurt, you know, and sweet are sort of those ephemeral moments of like just beauty and meadows and light and joy and, you know, but yeah, it's, they're totally poles. They're opposite. Um, but I love this book that she's trying to weave them together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have to say when I heard her say bittersweet, it was just like, that is the perfect word for this thing. Like no matter who you are, even if you haven't read the book, if you haven't had, haven't been able to sort of articulate those feelings, we all understand what bittersweet is, right? Like we've all made maybe chocolate chip cookies or something, right? And like <laughs> use that. Like it just, that just was like, like you couldn't pick a more perfect word. I felt yeah, like maybe. when I heard that, I don't know. And you know, what's so funny, you know, when you buy a new car and all the time, all of a sudden you see that car or you're thinking about buying a new car and you see that car everywhere on the road, but you never really noticed it before. Yeah. I have heard the word bittersweet <laughs> so many times <laughs> in like real conversations yeah. since we started this book with my yeah. students, with colleagues. I mean, it just, it's a word that it really is the perfect word. It's so resonant and yeah. it's like, everybody can connect <clears throat> you know, I, I just think it it's the perfect word for the, for this book. And, you know, as much as this book was hard for me to read, I really appreciated it because it came up all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I brought it up all the time in, in conversation and in class. Yeah. I just, I, I don't think, and it's interesting, at least from my perspective, I don't feel like it's often in, in at least the English language where there is a word that just brings everybody to a space. Cause like yeah. so often we're like, well, that could mean this. And for you, it could mean that, but like, it just grounds you immediately. So even before you start reading this book, you, you've, you've felt that, you know what it feels like, you know what it takes. So I thought I just, the power of that one word to just take us all in that space seems it's pretty remarkable. I think. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's two words. I mean, it's one word, but it's two words, yeah, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. not right, even right, right. one word that well, like, right. yeah. which is kind of neat yeah. to think yeah, about, yeah, like, yeah. That's is there true. one word that really captures well, that's it? True. It's, Good it's point. because it has the two. So yeah. 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 And, and it's hard to find a word, you know, two words brought together to form one that actually combines the, two, you know, like you think about compound words, like dog house, it's like, yeah, I get yeah. it. But like an emotion word that combines both yeah. things. Mm -hmm. Of course, where did I go to define this? I went to Renee's Atlas of the Heart. <laughs> but I because I was like, let me get a definition. But it's like, so she just said that a bittersweet is a mixed feeling of happiness and sadness, which was great. But I loved this quote, the bittersweet side of appreciating life's most most precious moments is the unbearable awareness that those moments are passing. Mm. Like that really doesn't that's the mark yep. quote. But I was like, wow, because it is, it's like we're so lucky that we are alive and able to experience these real beauty, you know, beautiful things in this realm. Yeah. But it can't stay. Yeah. And it can't, it's, it's nothing is 
forever. And I've had so many moments in my life where I'm like, I just want to stay right here. This is just heaven. And and then it's like, of course you're catapulted out of it. Yeah. We can get Mm -hmm. further. Well, it's, it's, I love that you brought that book up because what it also reminded me of is like, there's a really fine line between bittersweet and what Brene Brown calls foreboding joy. Mm. Right. Cause I feel like both of those words are in the same place and it's your posture or your mindset around that moment. Right. And so it's, I, I loved being introduced to bittersweet. Cause I think especially as, as a caregiver or parent or someone who's around young people, it's really easy to go to the foreboding joy and then lose Ooh. and then lose the sweetness of the moment. So I kind of, as hard as bittersweet is, I find myself, I'd rather be there than in a place of foreboding joy. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's part of, I mean, we have been, we've really talked about why this book like was so hard for me, but maybe that's part of it is because my instinct when I'm in bittersweet is to like go off on that foreboding joy. Like if bittersweet is a a linear sort of left to right continuum, foreboding joy, I guess is like a, like an offshoot. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Which I very easily go to. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's because that's a, yeah, that could be. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. So any other words we feel like need to be, I mean, we can sort of we're pretty good when we mention things to sort of give context. So I, I feel like we, we can maybe move forward. I want to know everybody's. So we took, so there is in the book. And if you go to Susan Kane's website, if you don't have the book, um, the quiz is on her website as well. There's actually a bittersweet quiz. Um, and so it was a brilliant idea from Brianne that we all take the quiz and we have not shared our results with each other. And so we were going to share our results and just, um, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do with it. So I'm, I'm excited to hear what happens to audience. So we'll see. <laughs> so who's going to offer up their, their numbers first. I got a 6.4. Okay, good. You're see, look at you. You're selling yourself short. I, well, I'm I knew seven, it. I'm a 7.7. 7. Oh, I Just thought seven. you'd be like a hundred. What yeah. were you? Well, I was 7.7. Okay. So for the, I, for the audience, we should, Right. So yes. like the the interpretation, I pulled it off the um, score. So if you're like between about a zero, well, it's a zero and 3.8, you're cheerfully optimistic. Uh, it says you tend toward the sanguine and 3.9 to 5.7. Um, you experience, uh, you, you move easily between sanguine and bittersweet. So it's, you know, um, sort of the moderation and then 5.8 to 10, you're a connoisseur of the bittersweetness um, place where there's light and dark. I was a 7.9. So. Yeah, girl. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Beautiful. So, we have a winner. That's amazing. I, uh, <laughs> I am not surprised at all. Um, I'm not one bit surprised. So um, well, I don't I know. I taken it a few times and I was higher and I was like, I have to, because I started to be like very proud of my bittersweetness, but then I started to be like, optimistic also. So then I was like, all right, like I don't cry at every commercial. So I like retook the test to like see if I could get lower. 7.7 was my mean. Um, yeah, that's hilarious. You're so funny gaming. You're gaming it now. So, so I don't know what, I mean, I'm curious when we hear Kate, your reaction, Brianne, what, like, what was your reaction? Like, what does the number mean for you or oh, not? I'm wondering. Yeah. I wasn't surprised because yeah. I think that I am a bittersweet 
connoisseur. Mm-hmm. Like I think I very I I live in this space, but that yeah. doesn't have to mean that I like it at this present moment. I mean, mm-hmm. I I'm like su- I have this capacity. I know that I do. Yeah. And so I kind of figured that I would be on the scale on that side of the scale. Yeah. Um. But I I really think Carrie that you just hit the nail on the head with the foreboding joy because for me I just keep slipping down that slope mm-hmm. of like you know like when I'm with the all the sad things, it's very hard to, cause I feel the sad things so much. Mm-hmm. And then I feel the, um, or, you know, the bitter and the sweet, the sweet things so much and so deeply. Yeah. And I guess I have like this fear of losing that. I don't know, but the foreboding joy I think is, is key, but I, I was not surprised that I was on that side of the continuum. Yeah. 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 Kate. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, that it made sense to me, I, um, I don't know. I feel like I, I'm a very like nostalgic person. Also, I'm always looking back. I'm, mm. I'm, I get lost in my camera reel of years gone by of, you know, trips or little moments, dance parties in the kitchen, like little things that once were that are no longer. Like, I feel like I like that is like my Monday through Friday and also Saturday and Sunday existence of I'm, I'm always, um, like looking back, I feel like I enter transitions, like, do I have to, you know, like every, every new step. Like I remember I had friends who were like, okay, like baby needs to start solids four to six months, four months. Let's go. Let's go. And I was always like, "Uh," you know, and they're like, my baby needs to be walking. I'm like, I'll just carry her a little longer. Like, I feel like I'm always like, "Uh," like just always (laughs) going like, but that was so, you know, like, I feel like I'm always that way. Um, and I, 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 there's something very, um, comforting in that weird duality that I think does make a lot of people uncomfortable for a lot of what she describes in American culture and, you know, smiling. I found that to be fat. I'm a big smiler, but like in many parts of the world, it's like obscene and like really like frowned upon, like not to be like whatever, but, um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, it makes sense to me that I would be there. How about yeah. for you? Were you, you felt? Yeah. I mean, I, again, I feel like this is part of me. I, I do. One thing I do wonder about is I wonder if I had taken this test as a, or this quiz as a 20, a college student, cause I was in a very different headspace as a college student, um, at which, you know, I mean, we change and grow. Right. Um, and so I, I wonder like how this score holds up through the yeah. years. Cause she does even talk about how our sort of perspectives on these things change. Um, and so I wonder, and, and college, college for me was, um, I always say, um, and it, and, it, and for a long time, it was a chip on my shoulder because I did not, I was not a great undergraduate student. And it was a real chip because I, I cherish academics, but I learned so much in college. It just wasn't like in the books, right? Mm-hmm. It was life stuff that I had to work through. And so I, I am particularly curious about what my bittersweet quotient would have been, you know, yeah. in that, um, I suspect I would have been way more on the bitter than the sweet. <laughs> That's interesting. I think mine would have been higher in college. Yeah. Oh, yeah, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think yeah. I was like deep in the headspace of like feeling all the feels for the mm-hmm. first time in my life because I didn't really allow any of that until I turned or until I left home. Yeah. Um, 
And then it was like, oh, like the world opened up to all of these new mm -hmm. like thoughts and feelings and emotions and words and people who were like willing to have such conversations that I had never had. Yeah. And so, you know, Kate and I had plenty of those and lots of retreats and lots of kind of mm. thinking deep thoughts during college. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think I was feeling all the feels. I just don't think I had the words to sort of talk through what I was feeling. And that's what's, you know, that's why I kind of wonder. Um, Cause I think now, I think part of the reason I'm high on bittersweet now is because, um, and I think Kate, like you, I feel like I'm, people think I'm a little weird sometimes. Like I relish the opportunity to roll in the messiness that is life and emotions and all. Like I just like, it's hard. And Brian knows this. Cause I now am really honest. Like sometimes we'll meet and I'm like, you know, just having a, a weird, hard, all these things. Right. And I know what's here. And I think just having that sort of ability to talk about it. Um, I mean, I'm often inviting discomfort into my life because I, I recognize that it's potential for great things to happen. Right. Um, so, but I was in a very different space, um, as a, as a younger person. So, um, it's cool. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think I would have been like, more sanguine, like the cheerfully optimistic. I feel like in college, I was so like joyful and flitty and like, I, but I, that's, I think that's why I relished so much the mm. <laughs> like deep, quiet, hidden conversations that Brian and I would have, because I love to go there, but there was not, I feel like I was just like, you know, like functioning up here, not in an, a, not from a place of inauthenticity, but just like everything was so new and shiny and like, joyful, you know, like, and I don't, I think it's like, it is after hard things and some of the hard things that happened in college and later in life and whatever, like you start to kind of like weave those in as opposed to like being afraid of them, you know, mm. like, I feel like everything was so great. And I'm like, we're good. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah look <laughs> like everything was just like there. Yeah. Like from an authentic, genuine place. But I think, um, like the longer you live and like the more times you fall down and, you know, scratch your knee and get back up, like some of that, you know, like, like that, that hurt and the bleeding, like, you know, it, it's it like brings in new growth and new um, yeah. uh, awareness and, and depth, I think, which is, uh, has been a welcomed process for me. Absolutely. So I think this would be a great segue. And, you know, our wonderful audience who is listening, the idea is that we, we identified a few themes together and we're going to start there. This is going to be, as Brianne said, I think in the beginning, this is going to be a two-parter because there's just so much to unpack. And so I think ladies, maybe we just start with a theme and see where it takes us and we can pick up, um, you know, wherever we aren't able to, to cover today. Per selfishly, I'd love to start with the creativity and sorrow, but I, I'm not wedded to that. I'm open if, if, that's if good. you ladies yeah. would go like no, to that's go good. in a different, okay, great. So, you know, as you can imagine, um, Susan Cain talks a lot. I feel like she talks a lot. Um, this is my interpretation about creativity and sorrow because she talks so much about the influence and contribution of and impact of music on her life. And even some of the examples that she uses around sort of violin music and funeral music. And she she talks about how she was listening to funeral music and her, her <laughs> roommate in college was like, what, what is this? Right. So, so it seems apropos to me that she talks often about creativity in different, in different settings. And there's so much in this book that I think we could quote. 
Um, so I offer just to get the conversation started, something that really jumped out at me was this idea that she suggests that the, there is a myth um, around this net that the narrative is a straight and a finite line. And so just to unpack that a little bit for the audience, she talks about how we we may recognize that there are, and Kay, you've been so vulnerable and honest, and Brianne, you've shared, we, we've shared moments in our lives where we've had highs and lows. And, and too often the myth is you have a high, you have a low, then you go from a low, then you go from a high. And, and she's saying, um, she's not saying the opposite. She's just saying that just doesn't necessarily follow with life, right? Like it might be that you have multiple lows, you might have multiple highs so that it's, so I just, that resonated with me um, because I just love again, that it's just not, you know, there aren't any clean lines to life really. Um, and I also love because, and Brianne's going to laugh at me, um, I adore the the Indigo Girls. Um, and I, I just, okay. And I saw, I actually just saw them last summer in a like super small venue. I was like, my hand could touch Emily's head, but I did not because that would be weird. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's how close I was to them. And in one of their, probably their most famous songs, they talk about the crooked lines. Right. And so I just, again, this goes back to the Kate, your point about the light, right? Everybody's holding a little bit of peace. So I feel like people in very different spaces talking about the same thing. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm going to, I want to hold space for Kate and Brand to share, but that's, that just really resonated with me. I just love that idea. Yeah. I, I think it's awesome too. I think um, I love the part where she, you know, she talks about making your pain, your gift, mm. you know, like that, what, you know, whatever pain you can't get rid of, make it your creative offering. And I just thought that was so awesome and beautiful. And it's so interesting. So I love to write and I, you know, just, you know, blog life, whatever. Um, but it's funny. Um, my uncle was really kind and I adore him. And he was like, you know, you really have a gift. And I was like, gosh, and I, I got to a place where I was kind of like, because I'm writing about myself and my life and my ups, my downs, my true authentic, you know, experiences. I kind of was like, like, is this really like self, you know, um, like aggrandizing? Am I like just pouring myself out? Like who really even cares anyway? Like this is so, I don't know. I started to get kind of like a little bit more shielded to mm -hmm. my sharing. Um, and he is a beautiful painter and artist. And he was like, you know, I, I remember struggling without myself. Um, but he said, you know, I view it as a gift from God. And if I take myself out of the equation and just allow that gift to flow through me, like it's mm. not about me or because of me, but I allow that to, you know, flow through me. He's like, I would encourage you to do the same, to not, you know, be the gatekeeper of a gift that's within you to, and, and to share it with the world. And I thought, God, that's so beautiful and so true. You know, we can be so self-limiting sometimes and, you know, with, you know, ego, or am I good enough or, you know, all of this, you know, heady stuff. Um, but I thought that that was really neat too, to think about what, um, what hurts you or what, you know, what calls you to action. You know, I remember on like, job quizzes, like, you know, the Venn diagram of like what you're good at and what, you know, how you can make money and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, what, what hurts you? Like, what, what do you feel uh, will get you out of bed every morning with joy and gusto to go serve and help? And I feel um, 
happy that in so many uh, different things that I've done in life, a lot of, if not knowing that, but looking back, reflecting and realizing that a lot of that was born from a hurt, you know? So it's, again, mm-hmm. it's like that, that taking that dark, but making it light that I love. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many quotes that we could support that with, but one that I liked, she says, in your pain, you find your values and in your values, you find your pain, right? So mm-hmm. you're kind of identifying what those things are that mean the most to you in those times. And then um, she was telling the story of Sharon Salzberg, who um, lived a life of like really horrific loss. I mean, sort of unthinkable losses when she was a child. And then in college was taking an Asian philosophy course. And she said, she, this is a quote, she learned that everyone faces the pain of separation, that no one is spared, that the real question is how to respond to that unchanging truth. So she was kind of like, oh, I'm not the only one. She's feeling horribly isolated as a child because everybody else seemed to have, you know, a more solid support system, kind of picture perfect. And then she went to India and learn this practice of um, loving kindness meditation, which then led me down a rabbit hole. Cause I'm like, I have heard a podcast about that very thing. And I couldn't, re- I'm mean, like looking, looking, <laughs> looking for it, but then came back to the book. So then she came back and Kate, to your point, she said, um, four years later, she was ready to come back to the States and her teacher, so to speak in India said, you understand the suffering and that's why you should teach. Cause she was like, why I can't teach? Like, what, what would I have to share? And she's like, no, you have this, like you have this depth of understanding. And so she said that was the first time in her life. She thought that suffering was worth something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just think she, Susan Cain, the author did a really beautiful job of illustrating these ideas that I think are kind of hard to wrap your head around mm-hmm. um, with examples. And that example just spoke to me. Yeah. There's so many great ones Mm -hmm. uh, in the book. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I love, what I'm hearing from both of you, which I really appreciate is like, oftentimes we talk about creativity and we immediately are like, well, I'm not an artist, right? She's not talking about creativity exclusively in that sense. I mean, both of the examples you just mentioned are, are around vocation and, you know, doing what you love and being able to love what you do kind of thing. Right. Um, I also think, you know, Kate, it made me think there's a great um, section in the book. It's, it's way, it's at the end, um, page 227, if anybody's interested, but they talk about um, the doctor, the, the, um, the doctor who was a um, cancer doctor, Breibart, do you remember this? And he was working with, um, cancer patients not to relieve their pain or cure them, but to help them find meaning in their life towards the end. Mm. And um, it says, but the key to fulfillment says Breitbart is learning to love who you are rather than what you've done. And I think, you know, Kate, your uncle telling you that your, your, your work is amazing and, and you're sort of coming to some understanding, like that's part of that, right? It's like, loving who you are enough to share it (laughs) with the world. And, and Brianna, I feel like your example of someone thinking, well, why, why would I teach? Right. Well, you're asking that question partly because you're not maybe not loving yourself in the way that you should. I think that's a really hard, I really love that quote because I think that for me, that's aspirational. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm not there. Um, I would love to be in that space so I can imagine, um, yeah, I can I can just imagine that that that's part of it. I, I will say, um, not to take up too much space, but I will say that I think the creativity and sorrow for me 
um, you know, it's not lost on me that this podcast grew out of, um, and I may tear up because I just do when I talk about my grandmother, um, it grew out of tremendous grief that I felt, um, when my grandmother passed away really suddenly. Um, I mean, she was 96, so, you know, I understood that her life was going to end sometime, but she had a stroke and unfortunately just did not have good, um, outcomes from the stroke and died pretty quickly. Um, and so she had died in November and then in January, I started the podcast and it was one of those things that I, you know, I wanted, I really wanted to podcast. I think I probably had said to Brianna, even like, I have this dream that I'd love to podcast. And it was in the sort of reflection of who my grandmother meant to me, how, how much she meant to me, what she did. And I was like, what the hell are you waiting for, Carrie? Just, and I just committed to like, I'm going to do, you know, one episode. And then one episode became two episodes. And by the time I got to spring, I was like, holy crap, I just did eight episodes of a podcast. I'm doing this thing. And then four years later, not only am I doing this thing, but I was just sharing in a workshop the other night that I'm so fortunate that like Brianne and I have figured out how to do a podcast and do research and integrate. So I, I feel like for me, this resonated because I totally get it. Like it, it for me that I'm not an artist, but like, I feel like this podcast is like my and our brand, like creative outlet. And so I, um, I think the thing that like the bittersweet piece for me that hurts my heart is that, um, my grandmother would love hearing this and I wish she was here to hear it, but she had heard me on, <laughs> she had heard me on a podcast and she told my mom, and I, and I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but she told my mom, she said, Kathy, I knew she was going to do something big. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just like we, I so used cute. to tell your father, her, her uh, my grandfather, there's just something about her. She's going to do, do a uh, lot of things. <laughs> so uh, like, <laughs> I just think it would have been fun to to interview her, like have her come on the podcast. But, um, anyway, but that's the bittersweet, right? Like the tears to the laughter, like that's for me, that's, that's, that's the sweet spot of this, this book. And so, um, yeah, so I'm grateful. I, I see it now. Um, I don't know. I just see it now as like, I am carrying a little bit of, of her with me. Right. And that's, and that's all I can do now is, is have her with me in that way. So anyway, sorry to go on so much. I just, no, it's beautiful. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. And I think it's so neat because you really had been talking about it for a while before that, you know, mm -hmm. before she passed away. Mm -hmm. And then it was like just this spark of like, I'm doing this and this is what it's called and this is what it is. It, like, it just, it was an idea that was, I think, riddled with doubt and like it was an interest, but it was like shrouded in all this other stuff. Mm. And then, there was a clarity and like a, an openness to the call or to whatever it was that, that pushed, And then it just happened. And so yeah. it's kind of a beautiful reminder of like, maybe just listen a little more closely to that, you yeah. know, to the, yeah, it is like it the is, inside. It is crazy. Isn't it? How these things happen. And I have to say like the memories that I've shared of my grandmother, like my kid, my friends growing up, 
basically had like an extra grandmother, right? It was, mm-hmm. she was that kind of person. So I kind of feel like in a lot of ways, this podcast is like, like us inviting all these conversations is exactly how my grandmother sh- showed up in the world. And so, yeah, yeah. it's, it's cool. It's beautiful. Really cool. And it's exactly what, you know, uh, Susan Cain counsels you to do is in times of struggle. And, and Carrie, you wrote about this in your book too, Dancing with Discomfort. Like if you show up for all of it with an open heart, the good stuff and the laughter, but also the really, really difficult things in life and just sit with it. It's so, um, I don't know, we're taught or it's so it's modeled for us to just stuff it or just like, and pick yourself up and let's keep on moving. But in so doing, you're robbing yourself of the opportunities that come from the hurts and the heartache and the, and the struggles. Um, And I think that it is so beautiful because when you do let all of that wash over you and you stay there, which is not easy, easy work, stay and you stay and you, you see everyone moving on and you're, but if you're not ready, you stay and you really let all of the hurts find their way into every nook and cranny, you know, when it's done, it's never over, but you know, when it's time to stand. And I think that the people who can listen most closely to that are the ones who often then do go on um, to do something beautiful with that hurt. Like there's uh, post-traumatic growth, you know, and mm-hmm. all of those, um, you know, um, the, the, the beauty from, you know, the rising from the ashes, the, the beauty from born of the, the hurt. It's funny. I was talking to my father-in-law and I was saying, we were talking about how hard it is when you, when you're in a medical issue or a, a time of hard things, and you have these like poignant moments of like, uh, of clarity of these, I see, okay, my path forward, this is amazing. But like, you can't, then, then you dive in and you start the doing again and the things, but it's like, we were saying like, it's so frustrating because you can't hold that, that clarity forever. Like you can't, like we were saying how frustrating it is. Like, you just wish you could always be that aware of the life's fragility and mm-hmm. the past, but like you can't, and, and we're not meant to always, but I think that it's like in those, um, quiet moments, but the big ones too, where if you can just allow it all in, yeah. um, it would hurt. I mean, it would hurt too much to yeah. hold the fragility of life yeah. that long, right? I mean, yeah. I feel like I don't know. I'm not a trauma specialist, but I I have a sense that like you're still you're like living a trauma of some sort if you're able to hold it for mm-hmm. for too long. I I love how you articulated that, um, Kate. This idea of clarity because I think you're right. Like we have, and Brianne, you were alluding to it. Like we have these moments in the hard moments of clarity. I can share just super briefly uh, Susan and I lost our um first child um just er- he was born too early and, and didn't survive but for 3 days and I remember like it was yesterday sitting in the waiting room with Susan after getting the news and turning to her and I have no idea why turning to her and saying we are not going to let this break us apart And I don't know why I said it. I don't know how it, no one, there was no reason for me to think either way, right? Like I'm in this moment of grief and I just, and we committed in that moment, in that hospital, in that space, that this was going to be hard as shit. 
and it wasn't going to break us apart. And it was hard. Like we had to do all the things, but it's like, like that moment of clarity, I wouldn't have, I didn't know how to articulate what that was, Kate. So I appreciate you bringing that language. Um, Amazing. And I'm so glad that you shared that because I literally dog-eared that exact story (laughs) and page because I thought that that was so beautiful. But I think that the cool thing is, is that the quote that you started that chapter with, um, with, by Martha Beck, it says, what happens when we're willing to feel bad is that sure enough, we often feel bad, but without the stress of futile avoidance, emotional discomfort when accepted rises, crests and falls in a series of waves. Each wave washes parts of us away and deposits treasures we never imagined. And Mm -hmm. it's true. It's, it's, it is true. There's, and you can't sometimes see the treasures until the wave has gone out, you know, back to sea you know, the tide has gone away and you see what's left. Um, but you can't, when it's washing over you, you're just underwater and, and holding on and holding on to those you hold most closely. Yeah. And then, but, but always the wave will recede, you know, but it's, it's having like trust and faith in that. Cause sometimes when you're underwater, you're like, and this is the end. We are <laughs> you know, like, this is going to, we're going to blow. This is not, but yeah. it is true. Um, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's, I've been thinking about my book um, and I know Brianna and I have been talking about sort of it, one thing about writing a book and I'm sure you see this, um, Kate, in the writing. Well, any of us who do writing, we reflect on, right? And we think, oh, if I wrote that now, it might show up differently. And I've been thinking a lot about this idea of dancing with discomfort and I've been toying with what would, what's, what is the dance of discomfort? And so I've been thinking about dancing in discomfort because you're experiencing it. Dancing yeah. with discomfort is sort of a companion. You're starting to build a relationship with it. Dancing through, right? You're making progress. But what I added to it, because I just read this great article, is dancing towards discomfort. Hmm. Well, because in, in there's, yeah. some, there's some there's some there's some great research, and I don't want to geek out on research, but there's great know. research, and this, I mean, to the conversation we're having, that what would happen if we, as a system, thought about discomfort as a metric for growth? Hmm. Like, why? Do, like, let's stop talking about test scores and this and that, and let's. So the the research, and I'm not going to go into it, but the research essentially, they do an experiment where they change the set of instructions they give somebody to focus on building this skill, to focusing on feeling discomfort during this, this practice. And what they found is that the people that they instructed to search for discomfort and feel the discomfort in their practice and learning a new skill is they were willing to stay in the skill longer. Mm, love that. And so, right. So like if we just change what we think discomfort is and, and if we recognize that there's creativity, all the things that we're talking about here. Right. So anyway, so I've been thinking about like a dance of discomfort sort of like framework and like all the things in it, but beautiful. So, yeah. yeah kind of. Well, I mean, it kind of reminds me of, Oh God, I'm going to get this wrong, but like, do you remember from learning theory it was like mixed practice and varied practice and things mm-hmm. like that. And I was just sharing this with my students the other day before an exam that had some anatomy on it. And I said, I know the comfortable thing to do. And the thing that makes you feel really good is to go through the flashcards that, you know, in particular sets, and that's fine. And that's a good way to start. However, I'm going to model something. So then we studied kind of out loud. And I was like, and this reminds me of that, which reminds me of this, which reminds me of that. And we kind of moved all through various anatomical Mm -hmm. systems. 
and their eyes were wide and they didn't know what to write because it wasn't <laughs> linear. And they were kind of like, oh God, this is so not helpful. And I said, I can see it and I can feel the discomfort in this room. Let me tell you why we're doing this. Because we know that when you stretch, that's where the growth is. And, you know, it kind of just reminds me of, of what you're sharing here. But yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. your students might not might not have appreciated it in that moment because they are reacting to discomfort in the very way that we all normally, not, I don't like to use the word normally, that typically we do, right? The sort of familiar but there's going to be a time in that student's life where they're going to be like, oh, Dr. Ruse was so right. Like, I'm so great. I I am 100%. That's like a gift, I think, that you gave. To, yeah, we'll to, see. <laughs> I, I think yeah, so. Okay. I mean, seriously, to because you're you're exactly right. Like, the, the easy thing and the comfortable thing is to study the way we do so that we think we understand this, right? And I think that's actually the challenge is that as soon as you present it in a different way, and they don't understand it. Well, did you really learn it, right? Yeah. <laughs> like in your bones. Right. Yeah. Um, it's so impactful. It's like I feel like yes, they could go through and in you know outline form be taking their notes. You know, this falls under this you know umbrella in this category. But when you make it that web, it kind of like you know that's related ancillarily. And how did that even get there? But it's like when you knock somebody back on their heels a bit, like that is a moment where you take pause. And I love that nobody wrote because things were simmering and integrating and all the things, but that they'll like, just like Carrie said, like, they'll remember that so much more than like just getting through. Okay. Three a is that, you know, like that yeah. they will remember that moment. Um, and hopefully maybe to then apply it to other, you know, facets of their life, but good. Job. Yeah. I mean, I think what I, I was trying, I was like, okay, so what are the implications for what Brian did with her students on what we're talking about? And what came up for me is that like, to me, it's just doubling down on bittersweet takes practice and bittersweet in like in life, fortunately for everybody, it shows up in all different kinds of ways. So you can't learn it one way and think that you've tackled this thing. And so I think, you know, the way that you're approaching your students in the class is also great preparation for thinking about how to, you know, effectively sort of be in bittersweet because it's you, you've you've just got to wrestle with it. And, and you do get, you get better at the wrestling. It's not that you get, you cry less or you laugh more. It's just, you get better at doing the thing that you need to do when bittersweet comes upon you. Right. Yeah. And I think you find people who are helpful to support you through those things. Yes. And it's different people for different concerns because the anatomy study buddy is different than the person who's going to help you through something that's hurting yeah. your heart. Um, but I'll just share as we, come to the wrap up, I was doing a reflection activity with a different group of students the other day, and they were doing like highlights and lowlights and that kind of stuff. And I said, you know, what questions come up after you, you put all this out there? And one student said, isn't it incredible how all this is at the same time? And how do you do it? Like, how do you hold these highlights, which are so great? And these lowlights, which are so scary. And I'm like, well, that <laughs> is the biggest question. <laughs> Um, yep. and you know, we kind of brainstormed how to do mm -hmm. that. And yeah, um, that's awesome. Yeah. So. I mean, that is, that is bittersweet. And I think you're right, Brynn, this is a great way to sort of, sort of wind down. And what I'm hearing is like, for all the work and the wrestling we do ourselves, this work isn't really possible unless you're in relation and communion with others. 
and the different people come into our lives and help us wrestle with this stuff in different ways. And um, so I think the next time it would be great to talk about that with integrating the bitter and the sweet. Cause I mean, I think at the end of the day, what I'm hearing us talk about is true integration can't happen without others, right? You can't, you can't go it all alone. So. Mm. And so much of what she writes about is about that duality of, you know, holding the bitter with the sweet, but even to, you know, Brene's definition of belonging, it's like owning, you know, circling back to what you guys are all about, but you cannot belong to others without belonging to yourself. Mm. And it's so, it, it seems so simple, you know, it's just, it's, it's like being present, showing up, doing the hard things, holding the bitter with the sweet owning yourself so that you can connect to others. I feel like it, it all like flows, you know, like if we can, you know, kind of build that construct, I feel like all of the belonging stuff you guys are working to improve and and measure and advance, I think, um, can be helped by like trying to flex this bittersweet muscle, you know? Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I think, yes, I think to the extent you can identify conditions that are important to, letting belonging show up. I think it all helps with the bittersweet piece too, right? That that's some of the work. So yeah. Oh my goodness. I am incredibly grateful for both of you, Brianna and Kate. This has been, we really didn't know what we were going to be talking about. So other than a few like topics. So I just, I so enjoyed this conversation and I have a ton of meetings the the rest of the day. And I'm, (laughs) my colleagues are going to be like, why are you so bouncy and (laughs) crazy today, Carrie? I'm going to be so full of energy and it's going to be as a result of this conversation and us being together. So thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. It's great. Yeah, guys, this was awesome. Yeah. We got to uh, one. I know. One one A. (laughs) I honestly, I had no expectation. I I had no expectation that we were going to get further than page one. I just... She well, knows that I like we'll to have leave these flags for next time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, dear audience, you can at least expect at least one more part of this. Whether we do a part three, who knows? We will see what happens. So, thanks to everybody for listening to another episode of Tell Me This. It has been a pleasure and be well, everybody. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.